Hello, everyone. I'm Bill Raggio. I'm a senior fellow at Foundation for Defense of Democracies and editor of FDD's Long War Journal. This is Generation Jihad, the podcast that covers all things in what used to be known as the global war on terror, but we now call the Long War. So uh, today I have a special guest, and dare I say, a friend of the program. He's Sal. He is the co-host of the Midrats podcast, a great one. I've been on there and uh, highly recommend it. He uh, also writes on Substack. You can follow him at CDR Salamander on Twitter. Sal is a retired Navy officer and has been, well, look, he's the guy I go to when I want to know all things about the Navy. Sal, welcome back to Generation Jihad. It's been a while. I think the last time we talked, it was about the Ukraine war, the beginning of the Ukraine war. It's great to have you back on. Well, it's great to be back on with you. Always enjoy our conversation. Oh, yes, yes. Um, it's it's great. And, you know, I woke up this morning um, the, uh, digesting the news of the formation of Operation Prosperity Guardian. Yeah, that's a great, great name. It's uh, Secretary of Defense uh, Lloyd Austin announced this after um, meeting with officials in the Middle East. Uh, and it is to... Uh, well, we'll get into that. Uh, the design to counter the Houthi threat that has, dare I say, spiraled out of control in the Red Sea, uh, the Babo Mandeb Strait, and the the Gulf of Aden. Sal, I have a first question for you: Why does this need to be formed? Isn't there a task force and a maritime commission that is established in this region to deal with threats of piracy and other issues in that vital waterway? We've got a, we have a whole slew of them. I mean, the one a lot of people are familiar with, which uh, I'm, I'm, I joined in alignment with quite a few people. Uh, Claude Barabay is one of them who is cynically looking at you know, CTF 151, which is an opportunity for the Chinese to spy on everybody and to increase <laughs> their excuses to deploy that area of the world and build a carrier pier in Djibouti and everything like that. But there are, there are other, we saw, the first attacks that came after the uh, the explosion of violence out of out of Gaza on the seventh of October, uh, there was even a, an assist by the Japanese, which may have been just talking on the radio. We don't know what that is, but you have a multinational force down there that has been off of the in the Gulf of Aden and off the Horn of Africa for a long time for the old school. Uh, Somali pirates who seem like they might be back in action recently uh, as well. They're joining the party. Yes, but, they have. They were involved in one of these incidents where it was a sort of a free for all. That was an interesting one. Yeah, it was almost like they put out their own letters of mark. But <laughs> obviously, they what exists uh, doesn't satisfy what we think needs or we want to do. So we're having to, you know, form another party with, with some nations, some not. But like a lot of things that have occurred since the 7th of October, this is a very clarifying event that I hope people are keeping the receipts on because it was announced this morning over the weekend. There were, you know, it leaked out there four minutes. But uh, as, as of right now, uh, the, the nations are going to participate from Europe. We have the, the Brits, the French, the Italians, the Dutch, the Norwegians, and the Spanish. Um, our friends from North America, 
Canada will will probably be able to squeeze a frigate or two out now and then. Uh, we also have Bahrain, which is our headquarter at headquarters at, and we have the the Seychelles, which okay, that, that, that's nice. Maybe we can do some resupply in Seychelles. We really don't have much of the navy, but what I think what's interesting there is who hasn't joined, and the the first things that that come to mind. Is and I this we all have to think look at this in the larger things of what's going on here because the Houthis are just a proxy like Hamas uh, in Gaza of the Iranians, so they're not going to do anything without at least the, the tacit approval or in alignment with the larger goals coming from Iran, whatever those might be. But you do not see the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, you do not see the United Arab Emirates. Or anybody else in the Arabian Peninsula besides Bahrain joining in on this? And frankly, I don't blame the Saudis and the UAE for doing that because uh, they have been stomped on for the yeah. battle, the war they've been fighting against the Houthis for a long time. Uh, the president administration has said some unkind and undiplomatic things towards them. And I, I, if I were Saudi or UAE, I, I would probably go, yeah, good luck with that as well, unless you're going to give me something to change my mind. Um, I think it's disappointing. Um, the Australians uh, are not coming to play. Um, they have made some statements that they have more important things closer to their waters. <laughs> well, hello, so do we, and you're much closer than we are. I understand the Japanese, um, because of their ongoing issues with coming out of their shell after the World War II many moons ago. Um, <laughs> it's only been 80 a, years. I mean, sure. It's only been 80 years. They, but they're a maritime nation, as are the South Koreans. And the South Koreans and the Japanese both have significant navies that are highly interoperable, very professional. It'd be nice for them to throw a bone in there, but they don't have, they don't feel the requirement to. In Europe, uh, no, no shock that the Germans aren't coming out to play. Uh, and yeah, smaller nations, we always have to, have to remind ourselves. Uh, Denmark has always been a great partner with us, as you know, uh, since 2001, but they're only a nation of 5 million and change. But yeah, that's a very small country. Uh, you know, he, but on, on that, like some of these countries can join just at least in principle, right? I mean, yeah. or we or we we can't send a ship now, but instead of one of our frigates being part of standing naval forces uh, two for NATO, we're going to send it down to you in, on February 28th. I, I agree. I agree. It, same thing with um, with Belgium. Um, again, they, they don't have much, but they're a nation twice the size of Norway and uh, Denmark. But there there are, of course, the the 800-pound gorillas in the room. We know why the Russians aren't coming out to play. Uh, and nor is the People's Republic of China. But these are very important maritime nations. However, when you notice whose ships are being attacked and whose ships aren't, nobody's messing with the Russians. Nobody's messing with the People's Republic of China. And no ship of any nation that is transporting hydrocarbons from Iran are being touched. That should tell everybody what's going on. That might have something to do with why some of the nations you would want to participate 
have bowed out. Of course, Egypt would have been nice to have been able to play because if nobody goes through the Suez, that cost them a lot of money. But I think a lot of this is being looked at rightly because the Iranians are looking at this through the prism of what is happening up um, in Gaza. And that, that, I think, is playing with the politics of some of these nations who otherwise they sure like to prattle on about the international law and uh, the international order, et cetera, and so forth. Well, here's some low-hanging fruit to help enforce that. And, uh, you know, would it be soon? So there's one other country uh, that you left out there, and that's a comp- – and I actually agree with you, Sal. The, the Saudis really should be telling us to go pound sand. And I'm, anyone who listens knows I'm no fan of the Saudi government um, in any way, shape, or form. But the treatment of the U.S. – I mean, one of the nice things to – one of the things that should have been done at the outset here was to – you know, re-talk to the Saudis and the UAE and like, well, maybe we can support you in your fight against these again. Let bygones okay be bygones. Yeah, it's okay to apologize diplomatically. Yeah. There's nothing we, wrong we were that. wrong. I mean, that that's something this administration can't say. I mean, look at Afghanistan. They still can't. They still view that as a, a successful withdrawal. This administration can't, you know, despite what everyone in the world saw on television. So... You know, the the Saudis and, and UAE really should, you know, they have, by all rights should be telling us to pounce sand. By the way, look at the way they treated um, Vladimir Putin when he arrived yeah. um, and uh, as, as opposed to how they treated Secretary of State Blinken, left him on the tarmac overnight. So I don't, I don't blame him. I do the same. Yeah. And the, the other country, though, India, um, I really that's that one's a surprise to me, I, you know. But I think the Indians, they have a very complex relationship with the Iranians and try to remain neutral in these issues. And so I do understand them not being it, but I would say it's disappointing. And it's, a, it's an aspiring, you know, global nation that has a, you know, I would I maybe you would disagree. I would say a robust Navy that could probably contribute to this or at least contribute in name. Right. These are important. The statement is just as important as the contribution. Yeah. And, you know. Mumbai or Bombay, as I always call it, it's only 3,000 kilometers from Bombay. I mean, it's right there. Uh, They're another one that has uh, a great maritime tradition, and they have a lot of their nationals on merchant ships plowing the seas. But like you said, they've, they've got their own little calculus that they're working. But, but you're right. They're, they've they would be a capable partner here, but people have agency. So so do nations. Yeah. Well, I I think a a lot of this, and I don't want to really get into this is just a result of uh, look, our, our standing in the world has significantly decreased over the last, well, you could pick how many years, but I would certainly say over the last three to four years, particularly it begins with the, in my opinion, with the withdrawal from Afghanistan and and has really gone downhill from there. And it's sending the wrong, like I, you know, if I'm a country, I have to question, why do I get on board with the U.S. train, uh, you know, at this point in time when it's, the U.S. has proven to be an unreliable ally? I think we're starting to see that in Ukraine. And we're, you know, we've seen that with Afghanistan and who wants to, you know, who wants to join in that mess when, you know, the world is becoming a far more complex place. Yeah, and people need to forget 
me to not forget that, as I like to point out now and then, we are physically and neurologically, we are still upper paleolithic hunter-gatherers. And there's a brainstem response in times of conflict uh, that go back to the days when we had uh, little farmers in the village looking over the hill with a bunch of these people riding on horses. Um, look, you look to your left, you look to your right. Somebody looks strong or do they look weak? Are you going to partner with somebody who is shaking in their feet and mumbling? Are you going to stand next to them or are you going to find a more secure place to go? And you have to look at it from the other end. If you are a predator, and there's no better predator on the planet than human beings, uh, when you sense weakness, indecisiveness, vulnerability, and isolation, that just encourages a predator. We have nations that are predators on the international scene, and they are going to probe, look for weakness, look for vulnerabilities. And if you are showing the fact that you're not very resilient, they're going to push and prod at you more. And I think that's a lot of what we're seeing here, which is, I keep wondering, okay, we formed this prosperity garden. What is its mission? What's its higher direction guidance? Um, what is the commander's intent that's going to come out of there? All these nations that are joining, and you know this in Afghanistan, is it doesn't matter how many flags you have outside of the headquarters, but what national caveats are attached to that flag? Oh, the binder. Oh, you remember the binder, I, right? I, yeah. I, I still get a mild break. For the listeners, that there was a binder of rules, of caveats, which in Afghanistan, of what countries can do, do what, when, when they would go out on patrol, when they would have to be back in the barracks, how they would engage. I mean, it was absolute. There's articles written about this, and it was absolutely insane. And I'll, I'll, use, this, I'll use this as an example. One of my, my favorite examples, because it... it really torqued me off at the time. Uh, anybody who had left uh, Kabul airport to head over to HQI staff, you know what you drove through. You know what all that, that entire city was a nightmare. And uh, I think this was in 07, 08, uh, one of the gates was guarded by a Belgian contingent. And I was talking to the, uh, the MCO who was, who was running it because I, I knew what their national caveats were. And this is obviously the war's law, so we can talk about this now, but uh, his REs were such that he could not direct any action beyond that gate. So, you know, I asked him, like, so when I come out of here, if if, if I'm with the Brits and the Kiwis, if our little Land Rovers get smashed and uh, we're in trouble, can you come get me? He's like, no, I can call for somebody else to do it, but, but I, I can't do anything for you. And so, okay, you have. Our, our line of ships out there, and I'll use the same thing because it's Belgium. You've got one of the few uh, seaworthy Belgian frigates out there, and their tasking is you can only uh, you can call for help for what you see, you can report what you see, and you can only fire weapons in self-defense. Okay, okay. I guess I guess you're a, a drone sponge, but what are you really out there doing? So, okay, we have eight ships there. But uh, I would use them as the American equivalent. For instance, if you had, a, again, we'll, we'll go back to our, our, our safety spot in Afghanistan. If I had a, uh, a British or an Estonian or a Danish company out there, that's a U.S. equivalent. 
they can pretty much do what the U.S. can. Um, so equivalent units. So you have eight warships out there. Okay, of those eight, three are American. The other five, out of that five, what equates to five U.S. ships? Two of them? Two and a half? Um, and that, that's one of the frustrating things for the commanders, because then they have the place to ship to where they want to. So that's really what I want to would like to know. I'd also like to know, I know we will intercept missiles and drones headed north-northwest to Israel. But will anybody else? Right. Yeah. And you you anticipated my question, uh, Sal. Yeah, that is that. I mean, and obviously, look, we don't know. I mean, is this what is the mission? Is this, you know, ultimately, are we escorting ships and just doing a protection mission here? Or are we actually going to actively target Houthi capabilities? I mean, you know, one of the things there were two statements. It was a statement yesterday from Secretary Austin. There was a couple paragraphs and then another statement issued by the Department of Defense. Um, and it used the word deter. That second statement used the word deter twice in there, not once, but twice. And we've seen this with deterrence, put that in quotes, uh, um, with attacks on U.S. bases in Iraq and Syria and the re- absolute reluctance of and I can't blame the U.S. military for this. The, for, for the Biden administration, they're so fearful of escalation here that I get that, you know, sneaking feeling that this is a is this is Operation Prosperity Guardian um, merely a, you know, a, you know, a, a deterrence mission? Uh, is it all talk and, and little bite or is this a mission actually designed to dismantle some of the Houthi capabilities. What does your gut tell you, Sal? Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, I like no, no, to put you I, on the spot I, like I just, that. I do this to people it, time to time. To to use the phraseology of the cool kid, it's a black pill moment. Um, and here's why. You know, you t- you're talking about deterring people, uh, Iranian proxies from attacking our bases in Syria and Iraq. Well, what's an open source tells you that sure as hell isn't working. We're not deterring anybody. Uh, the only thing we're, we're maybe deterring them from hitting the bases in mass and at the you know, receiving end of uh, uh, modus, so to speak. But we're not deterring anybody from attacking uh, because it keeps going on. And there's also, again, going back to the fact we are we are still upper paleolithic from the dawn of written history. We know how to deal with piracy at sea. Go back to Caesar. You can go back to before Caesar. All the written records that talk about it, there's always been pirates. We know how to deal with it. One way you don't deal with pirates effectively is at your ship. You can do that for a long time. My ships, you know, back when all the merchant ships carried, carried guns, you keep the pirates off. Now, I have enough Marines on board that if there's pirates, you can do that all day long. That's not going to stop piracy. The way you stop piracy, you find out where their ships go into port to get repaired, resupplied, and to get weapons and unload their booty, so to speak, and you destroy it. You destroy it and you kill them. That's how you end piracy. Now, the great thing about the modern era is you really don't have to put, uh, unlike when we first did this, we were a very young nation. The Barbary pirates, you know, we had to put uh, troops ashore. Though most of the most of the troops we used were local mercenaries we had hired. 
you don't have to put boots on the ground. Everything from a five-inch gun to a T-LAM to uh, some of our standoff weapons that our aircraft can carry, we can, to use an unpopular phrase now, but it's accurate, we can mow the grass in the piracy den and knock that back. It will come back because it's lawless. Comma, however, this isn't going to take place because the Houthis are not idiots, just like Hamas are not idiots. Though they, they may overplay their hand a bit. A lot, my understanding is, a lot of the Houthi launch areas for their drones and their missiles are located in civilian areas. And if you have a military senior leadership, civilians, um, the uniform leadership will do what they're told to do. But the civilian leaders, if they are queasy about being responsible for collateral damage, aka civilians that are being used as human shields and being killed, then they won't act on it. Uh, which for a nation that used to firebomb cities at the edge of living memory, that's always an interesting thing to ponder. But again, that, that goes back to messaging and understanding. The, the Israelis are being quite honest and direct about it. I think that's effective, saying we don't want to do this, but if we have people launching missiles at our cities and they're doing it in the middle of civilian neighborhoods, we'll tell everybody to leave. But if we take those threats out, if there's collateral damage and civilians who are killed, we are sorry, but that's not our fault. That's their fault. That's hard to do, especially when you haven't prepared the information battlefield, so to speak. But Going back to, I think, what was your question? I think I've gone off center line. My apologies. No, no, it's it, it's fine. And, you know, I'm with you, Sal. That's a, a conversation, right? And a whole nother conversation of what is war? I mean, we it's been, but, you know, it's just been mutated to the point where one civilian killed in a war is war crimes. I mean, Hamas doesn't want a war. Don't start one. And, you know, but, you know, here we are. And, you know, look, my solution to piracy, look, uh, you're a Navy guy. Do they still have yard on, on ships? We can we can make some. If not, they should install them. And then you start hanging pirates because that's what you do if you want to stop piracy. Like what we pussyfoot around now these days and just, oh, we can't do this and we can't do that. And they're human. They need a trial and catch a pirate trying to hijack a ship. Hang them. You want to see piracy decrease? You know. Display the bodies of 10 dead pirates every week and it'll stop. You want to loot the attacks to stop, start targeting their civilian leadership. You know, go after uh, go after the top leaders, the political leaders, not just the military. Yeah, you want to try and sweep out their scud sites and their you know anti-ship ballistic missiles and the cruise missiles, and those things should be targeted. But you go after the capacity, sure, they're not stupid, but at some point, and you know what, this is another question, Sal. And I'm going to ask it, but then to get back, you, I think you you did answer the question. We don't really know. And basically, this administration is very hesitant to do what we're talking about right now. Um, you know, where's this? You said it. Where's this all really coming from? It's all coming from Iran. The Houthis aren't doing this out of the blue, out of their love and support for Hamas. Sure, there's an aspect to it, you know, but they're doing it because they get in the green light from for Iran and, you know. Maybe a response needs to be given to the Iranians as well. I mean, you know what? Like, this has always bothered me. And and I've said this on Twitter and people get accused of being a warmonger and whatnot. I would just ask the, the Iranians if they like their Navy. 
if they like their navy, they could keep their navy, and you could tell the Houthis to stop. That would be my response. And I mean, that's an easy target for for the U.S. military. And I just we just don't we just talk about how we don't want to escalate, we don't want to do this, and we don't want to. And meanwhile, as you note, know, all they do is smell weakness on us. And you, you got to look at the, at the baseline. You know, piracy is it's a cost benefit analysis. You know, what is my gain versus what is my risk? And you, know, you can look at and then again, this will go back to Queen Elizabeth the first her period of time. You can have individual pirates, which are, uh, some people argue with me on this, but I think in broad terms is correct. You know, in the modern day, that's what you, you see off of Indonesia, and that's what you see off of Somalia. You also have state-sponsored piracy. Uh, well, who was it? Sir Francis Drake or Sir Walter Raleigh, and all those great Elizabethan naval leaders. From the Spanish point of view, they were pirates, because that's what they were doing. They were attacking the Spanish main. And they were kind of grumpy about it. You have to decide, okay, so what are you looking at here? Are you looking at state-sponsored piracy or individual piracy? State-sponsored piracy. Why are, why are they doing it? We think we know why we're doing it, but you hit on it right there. You have to make it such that those who are deciding to go through with it um, decide, I'm not getting the juice for the squeeze that I thought I was getting here. That means you break their stuff and... Some popular to say, but that's the way humans work together. You kill their people uh, until you start making this uncomfortable for them. They're going to go there, and there, there's a larger issue at play here that, that has echoes. You know, we talk about smelling weakness, and again, I take this personal because anybody who wears the naval uniform, um, this applies to them. We, we being the U.S. Navy, but really we being the Western navies. All my NATO buddies and my Japanese friends and my Australian friends who aren't in NATO, I'm, sp- I'm speaking on their behalf as well. We cannot allow state-sponsored actors, much less unlawful combatants, or pirates, whatever you want to call them, feel that they can fire on our ships at leisure. And our response is, you fired at me 10 times, well, I shot, shot down 10 times, nothing hit me. We're good. No, you shot at me 10 times. I'm eliminating 10 of your docks, all of your ships. And your deputy leader happened to go get coffee at the wrong place because we were monitoring that can. So we just put the, the, the flying ginsu through his forehead. You have to make that point to these people. Because if we, if we establish a precedent that it's okay for you to take pot shots at U.S. warships on a regular basis, next time it's not going to be off of Vermont. It's going to be off someplace else. And we have to be right 100% of the time. Because if we're not right, we're going to have a fully manned bridge that's going to have one of these drones go into it. And we're going to have a skipper, an XO, the NAVO, four petty officers, three seamen, and two officers killed and 22 injured because one of them slipped through because they're not perfect. And okay, then what are we going to do? Talk to, talk to uh, a, a great American. Uh, retired Commander Kirk Lippold, uh, skipper of the USS Cole. What 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 happened to his ship? <laughs> Not surprisingly, in Yemen, back when we thought we could go in there and, and get fuel. Um, so that's one of the, the, the side issues here that I'm a little black-pilled about, is I do not like the precedents that we're establishing here, that it's okay to take pop shots 
an American warship. People should respect the flag. Hey, that's that's a U.S. warship out here. You sure you want to do that? You remember what happened to the Houthis? I, I would like that floating around. Yeah, I, I I could not agree with you, Sal. Like, I'm convinced the people that make this policies have just never been in a street fight in their life or, you know, dealt with a school bully. You want to stop the bully or you want to stop being harassed? You know, you send a message. Um, I mean, it's unfortunate, but this is the way it works in parts of the world where they only understand force. And and I think we're just doing this bizarre form of, of projecting our way of doing business upon our enemies and adversaries when they clearly don't work that way. Um, and they all they do, again, they smell weakness. They see it and they, they smell it. Sal, the... Um, this is going to be a you you had alluded to this when when talking about the composition. Is this going to be a U.S. heavy mission? Um, when it comes to actual manning, putting ships on on the seas, and does the U.S. Navy have the capacity to handle this? And do we have enough carrier battle groups? You know, they, they, people think, well, we have what, what's what's the number? Is it nine carrier carriers that we have in the fleet now? Is that right, or is it ten? In theory, we have more than that, but it depends on how you define available. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. T- ten is a is a comfortable figure to go with. Um, some people, some people argue we really only have effectively nine because things that are being built, things that are in the shipyards, and of course, even when you, I always say it takes one to make three, but my, my friend Brian McGrath says no, actually, it takes four or five to make one. I'm like, okay, technically that's true. But uh, you know we're trying to live in a perfect world. But you bring a good you bring a good question. For instance, the um, the original um, forward carrier strike group. One of the destroyers that deployed with her was the uh, USS Remage. Uh, she returned back home uh, on December fourth after a two hundred and fourteen day deployment. Now the rest of the CSG. Uh, some of these names will sound familiar for those that are tracking what's going on in the Red Sea. Um, in that carrier strike group, they had one cruiser, the Normandy, and they had the additional destroyers, the Kearney, the Hudner, and the Roosevelt. Now, the Kearney and the Hudner have all been down in the Red Sea recently. That leaves the um, the cruiser Normandy that I saw was in the Med with the Ford and probably the Roosevelt. I had been tracked from the Roosevelt. But in the last two weeks, and I, I put this up on my substack if people want to look at it. If you look at some of the end shots, you have the uh, Norfolk-based USS Laboon. Uh, she end chopped the Mediterranean, which being coming through the Straits of Gibraltar, headed to east on the 11th of December. You had Arleigh Burke, hole one, that's uh, uh, stationed in Rhoda, uh, she inchopped uh, on the 10th of December, the day before that. You had the uh, early work class destroyer, the Delbert D. Black, DDG-119. Uh, she inchopped on the 14th. She just got back from an eight-month deployment in April. So that that poor group of folks, they had a really short turnaround. Uh, that means they probably got under... But, but none of this has anything to do with um, retention problems and recruitment problems in the U.S. Navy. I'm sure no, not, not, Sal, right? Of course, we had the, the, the Sullivans. Uh, she entered the uh, Mediterranean on the 17th December. She's the one that just got back from a four-month deployment in February. She's also home ported out of Naples. So we are, because our carrier strike groups right now, um, 
and I will stand by this argument to our dying day. Do not have, in peacetime and normal operations, and right now when the Ford got underway, she had one cruiser and she had four destroyers with it. They need at least two, preferably four more ships to be in there. In the late 1990s, which when we were still feeding off the fumes of the Cold War, um, I'll use as an example the Enterprise. Uh, Enterprise back then we called them battle groups, but I guess battle is too scary, so we strike now. Um, the Enterprise battle group, when she deployed in 98-99 into Desert Fox, also did Kosovo. Uh, she had two cruisers, two Arleigh Burke class destroyers, two um, Spruance class destroyers, two frigates, and two uh, submarines that were attached to her. So that gave her a lot of ships to do things with. So what you do in this case, if you have to take two of your five escort ships, and one of them is not going to be the cruiser, that has to stay next to them all, you send them into the Red Sea, you're assuming a lot of risk in the Eastern Med, unless you can bring in more destroyers, which I think what we've seen here in December is uh, uh, it takes a while to get boats underway, especially if they just got back from deployment. Uh, which is you know what you saw with the black and the Sullivans. Um, they're coming in to backfill the Ford Strike Group, but also probably some of these ships we're going to see be part of this uh, Prosperity Guardian. Uh, we just don't know when the other ships will arrive. The French will probably show up pretty fast. Uh, the, the Brits already have a ship there. We might see some ships that are already attached to like CTF-151 or CTF-150 detached from there and attach to Prosperity Guardian. Uh, so they'll rob from Peter to pay Paul uh, just to make the numbers work. What's going to be nice to see is how long is this going to go on? How long are the Houthis going to... Because uh, I, I don't know. We could ask the Saudis and the Emiratis to, hey, could you go beat up on the Houthis some more? And they're going to go, no, no, we got a meeting with uh, uh, President Xi right now. We're going to discuss a few uh, business-related items. <laughs> uh, we'll give you a call in June. Have fun, guys. Um, that's what I would do if I was a son. <laughs> How's yeah, that working yeah. out for How you? you? Like me now. Um, so how how is Prosperity Guardian going to look in June of 24? which goes one of my pet peeves here is we constantly tell ourselves that we're going to have a short operation. Um, how's k looking nowadays in Kosovo? Um, how's, how's that uh, complete withdrawal from, from Syria looking? How's that complete? Yeah, you know, it just goes on and on. So we need to be looking long-term. Yeah. U.S. mission in Somalia. Look at just Task Force 151, yeah. as you, you talked about, right? That was when was that stood up? Uh, well over a decade ago. Oh, by the way, we're robbing Task Force 151 to go to Operation Prosperity Guardian, which I'm never going to yeah. say properly. Um, you know, maybe we might start seeing some increase in, in Somali piracy. I wouldn't be shocked if the Iranians were starting to shoot some money across the table for them to um, step up their operations as well. Uh, so, I tell you what, just, make it, the Houthis aren't going anywhere anyway. Anyway, if you think, and I, they're not. Please, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was 2016 is when the USS Mason was engaged by a couple of Houthi-launched um, anti-ship cruise missiles. That was fun. 
Correct. So, you know, yes. that's what, four, five, six, seven years ago? Yeah. Yeah, I think the first Houthi attack on a U.S. warship was somewhere around 15 or 16. And did we? Um, and did so we we're talking, and, yeah, we're talking and, almost and, a decade my, ago. My dear friend Bill, did we do anything against the Houthi that might discourage them from attacking us at some point in the future when it was convenient to them? Absolutely not. Matter of fact, we removed them from the list of uh, foreign terrorist oh, organizations. Okay. I mean, the, you know, and look, I recognize <laughs> that this is largely symbolic, right? But it, 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 the symbolism matters. And the Houthis, again, that smelled like weakness to them. Well, um, Sal, you answered my last question. Do we have the will to wait the Houthis out was what I was going to ask you. Um, obviously, I think you know where we, where we both leaned. I mean, they're not going anywhere. We can beat back their capabilities, certainly. I, I do believe the U.S. Navy has the capability to do this, and especially if supported with others. But what happens when they rearm? I mean, would this require some type of blockade to, with, from the Iranians to resupplying them? This is not, I think you really hit the nail on the head. We think these, a lot of these engagements will be quick. We think of them as yeah. engagements and not as commitments, right? And, um, you know, I, they, this is be interesting to watch. But uh, um, yeah, any any parting thoughts, Sal, before we we move, we uh, we well, walk out of here? It, it's one of those things that um, it does affect everybody, not just in the national security arena. When you have Maersk and Evergreen are going, we're not going up the Red Sea anymore. We're going around the Cape of Good Hope. That's a much greater distance. That's going to cost a lot more money. That's going to increase inflation. It's going to in our just-in-time delivery environment, it's going. People remember what happened back in COVID with supply issues. Uh, you're going to, you know, run out of your favorite thing at Costco all of a sudden. So it's going to have an impact. Um, it might peter down some if Israel uh, does whatever it needs to do with Hamas, but it's not going anywhere anytime soon. I just fear that we're going to stand up prosperity guardian and it's not going to have any teeth i i reserve the right to be wrong here and perhaps we'll, we'll see a different story come mid-january but we the imperial we here as human beings whether the you look at ancient chinese writing they know you look at western writing we know we know how to deal with pirates the houthis have to be treated like we dealt with pirates for thousands of years and until we do that they're going to be there and they're going to be a nuisance and it's at their convenience. And uh, I wish somebody would go uh, make nice with the Emiratis and the Saudis too, because we all need to put boots on the ground, but uh, there are other people who might be interested in that, but maybe not. More, more than willing, or at least they were. Yet, Sal, that's, you know, look, I can't count how many times since I've been doing this professionally that I wished I was wrong. I'm sure you yeah. were in the same boat. As a matter of fact, I know you're in the same boat. I do. I, I hope we're wrong about this. I hope that that this that Prosperity Guardian stands up. It has teeth that we really get to the heart of the problem. It's not just the Houthis. It's the Iranians. And that we could beat back this threat because this sets a horrible precedent um, just in so many ways. And, and yeah, it's going to hit it's going to hit us in our pocketbooks, yeah. too. I mean, that's probably the least of the problems. And if things spiral um, and things get worse on the high seas, it's going to cost us more and more. And these, these we 
these are problems that cannot be just dismissed like this administration wants to dismiss. And another thing too, quick Sal, you know, I'm really shocked that he's taking this risk in an election season to coming up. If one of these, as you noted, it only takes one to get through. If we have dead sailors, dead, dead officers, a a, a ship that's taking on water, um, that is going to look really bad. And, you know, if the prices of everything starts going up, because of this, that isn't helpful either. So he has political consideration. That's not something that we'll talk about here um, at Generation Jihad. But there are real political considerations that are really, I'm really surprised aren't being taken into account. When you know, aside from doing what's right and what's in our national security interest, but like from a political point of view, you really might want to think this through, President I Biden. Think, I think probably what we're looking at when you look at the worldview of his advisors and his administration. They are probably willing to accept the risk of that than to accept the risk of being seen as a combatant in alignment with the goals of the of the Israelis. Uh, though, heck, they can't even keep their their White House interns inside the ideological lifelines. Yeah. Um, yeah. So great. Point. They're they're probably you know will will risk having a, a a bridge blow up and some sailors die as opposed to doing anything more kinetic that uh, might be uh, contrary to our larger ideological uh, preconceptions, so to speak. So elections have consequences, and maybe they're right, and maybe we're wrong, but uh, uh, we'll find out. Yeah. Sal, thank you so much for joining us today. It's it's a pleasure. I got to get you back on soon. Let's uh, let's circle back in a month or so. Let's see where this is. Um, Really interested. I'm glad everyone got to to get your perspective on this. Again, I woke up this morning and I was like, I got to talk to Sal. So thank you so much for for um, for answering my message and, and being timely and flexible and getting on the show. Well, Bill, it's been a real pleasure and I enjoy talking to you. And uh, hey, if I don't talk to you now and then, I hope you and yours have a, a great Absolutely, holiday. Sal. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Happy holidays to you and to all of our listeners of Generation Jihad. Quick reminder here. Make sure you follow Sal at CDR Salamander on Twitter and check him out on Substack and give give his show Midrats if you're a Navy nerd. You like that stuff and it's a lot more than that too. Give Sal a listen. It's well worth your time. Trust me on that one. Thank you everyone for joining us for today's episode of Generation Jihad. Just a reminder, you can find us on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Make sure you subscribe and leave us a review. Thanks again. We'll see you all again soon.